This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Zach McDermott, um, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Zach, um, I need to know where McDermott came from. That's Irish. Are you Irish-American? or? Yeah, I wouldn't identify as such. It's not like fresh no. off the boat or anything. No. I'm from, <laughs> no. from Kansas and my uh, my grandmother's from Oklahoma. Um, yeah. On my dad's side, they're from Arkansas. So it could be the great great. Yeah. We don't have anyone with any sort of accent or anything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So you were a public defender. I was, yeah. I um I can't imagine that. Oof. Yeah. Um it's it's a crazy job. It is a crazy job. And you woke up one morning convinced that you were being filmed as part of an audition for a TV pilot. True story. Right. Could that just be a wild imagination? No, it was a psychotic break. Um I had this was my first manic episode. This was my introduction to bipolar disorder which was ultimately my diagnosis so no signs before then you know there's a there's a period leading up to it a couple months where i just wasn't sleeping at all you know three four hours a night tops and insomnia is both a symptom and cause of mania um so that was problematic and before you know day or two before my first break i covered every square inch of my apartment walls with red magic marker writing all Uh, these little word equations um and i had two roommates at the time they weren't very pleased about this no but there was yeah i did a excuse me i did a strip tease at a happy hour with a bunch of lawyers i shaved my head into uh, a mohawk. And how did, what, what was that at the time? Was that just like, oh my God, Zach, he's crazy? Yeah, I mean, I think people started to, you know, at first it was kind of that. Yeah. And I think it was kind of like, oh, this guy's kind of a cocky ass here, you know? Um, but yeah, um, I don't think it was until I fully had my breakdown and came back that people really understood, like, uh, I was really going through something there. And was it in, was it induced by substance abuse or alcohol abuse? I mean, were there triggers or were you just having extreme highs and lows? Smoking tons of pot. Um, yeah. And I've always, you know, since I discovered booze, drank too much. Mm. Um, I don't. No, we're not no. drinking any wine <laughs> right now. We're not drinking right now, no, are we? We're not. No. Um, so yeah, I think the weed had a lot to do with it. And, you know, pot these days is too strong. It just really is. I mean, what are the names of them? The popular strains in New York are like train wreck, things like that, you know? (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're a person, well, I know that if you're a person who has a propensity or is more vulnerable, uh, to perhaps having a mental illness, you know, by like your 
genetic history that marijuana can really exacerbate um, your symptoms and can really like be a kind of a catalyst for psychosis. And it's not legal. It is. And, you know, I don't think it's, if anyone cares what I think about marijuana, I don't, I don't think it's like a, a, a totally, yeah, it's harmless or it's harmful thing. You know, it's, it's potentially both. And it's also potentially a positive thing. Unlike, you know, I think booze, you, you use that excessively. It's almost always leads to trouble. You know, a lot of people need their marijuana and feel really good on it and can handle it. And Substance abuse. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Because when I was growing up, you can imagine I wasn't that person. Just, I just wasn't. I didn't have, you know, I didn't drink alcohol or I've never, ever tried any substance. Um, however, there were a lot of people that I knew that did, a lot of people in my social circle, kids, and there are those kids that just dabbled and it was fine mm-hmm. and, you know, when they wanted to stop, they stopped and that was it, they moved on. But then there were the ones that were left behind mm-hmm. and that couldn't shake it. And I never really understand how that works, you know. Who are the people that manage to control it and why do the others just, it ruins their life. I kind of wonder if like manage to control it is like a fiction, you know, I, I almost do think, you think, yeah, 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 I almost think you're either wired to do it and it's maybe not effortless, but it's just achievable or you're kind of wired to, you know, as soon as you, you hit that first one, you want the second one, the third one, the fourth one. Um, and I like, I don't really believe it's like a disciplined thing. I mean, I believe like if you want to get out of it, then it does require a great deal of that, but I don't think becoming a pothead or drinking way too much or even getting you know addicted to coke or heroin is really a choice and certainly not a sign of weak character it's just you know it, unfortunately when but what's the difference between i'm going to not going to say you and me but but say for instance an addicted person and me because yours there's an underlying problem or is what you're saying that everyone has an underlying problem? Oh, I'm not saying that at all. I think no. plenty of people can drink right. healthily. I think plenty of people can smoke weed. I think a lot of people can even snort cocaine. Like Some of them keep jobs. Yeah, I mean you can not only keep job, but you can be very stable and Yeah. You know, like I've I've snorted cocaine. So You've, you, you're here to talk to us about uh, uh, your new book called Gorilla and the Bird, and it's a memoir of madness and a mother's love. I mean, that is the most beautiful subtitle, I think. I don't think I thought of it, but... Didn't you? Yeah, I think it's it was my, nice. my brilliant editor. Yeah, well, do you know, I, I love that because it softens it, doesn't it? What? The story. That yeah. somebody's watching over you. Yeah. It softens it for me because I, I have a huge empathy for people, and it makes me think that in all that madness that you're being looked after. Yeah, and I think, like, I hope this doesn't sound self-aggrandizing at all, but I think a lot of times in kind of the mental health memoir uh, genre, it can be a bit like the the ego, and I don't mean like arrogance, but like the, the ego on the pages can be like kind of outsized, and it, it, they're often just very, like, you know, this is about me, this was my story. Do you know, that's so true. And I think addiction is like that as well, and that that you become focused on the self. And I think there's the line and a mother's love that makes me want to pick it up because it's different. It's going to give me a different perspective. And it shows me that the author is thinking about people outside of themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think a, 
an essay about something that happened to you, um, a traumatic experience or even a series of traumatic experiences over the years is cool. I can, I'll give you 10,000 words on that even. Yeah. But 90,000 is a bit much without bringing in some other characters that like kind of show this is the both tapestry of my life and how I came to a place where, you know, I'm not in a living in a, a psych ward. I'm I'm writing books and talking to you. Mm. You know, I'm gonna I'll keep going with this introduction, um, and then we'll come back. I've got so many questions for you. So, Gorilla and the Bird is is a psychotic odyssey that reflects on Zach's descent into psychosis. It is darkly funny and emotionally powerful. I mean, you know, I mean, you are funny, but it's dark. It's really dark humor. Yeah, that's my favorite kind. Um, people, people, you know, uh, have you seen No Country for Old Men? Mm. This is my favorite movie. It's and, frightening though. And I think it's hilarious. I think it's like the funniest movie ever. And like my mom was like, I told that to my mom. She's like, are, what are you, are you crazy? I'm like, well, mm. yes, I am. But, uh, she's like, it's, it, it's horrifying. I'm like, it's hilarious. Every line in that movie is hilarious. Um, I didn't see, I didn't laugh that much. Oh, man. <coughs> I know lots of it's, people, Llewellyn. I work at the Walmart. Yeah, right. uh, yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. In and the, book, the haircut on yeah, Harvey. Come on. I know. Yeah. But he shoots people just, anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> in the book, um, Zach is tackled by guards in mental wards, runs naked through cornfields, receives secret messages from the TV, Befriends a, form, befriends a former Navy SEAL and sees the Virgin Mary in... It's back hair. Back hair. Um, <clears throat> it is his mother, nicknamed the Bird, whose love is the light in Zach's dark world. I mean, beautiful. But they're not funny. I mean, that's pretty horrendous, isn't it? I mean, it is, but I think there's some humor in all that too. A man naked running through a cornfield, that's funny to me. Yeah. Um, but man- you saw him for real. What's that? Did you see him for real? That was me. Oh, that was you. Yeah, I ran naked through the cornfield. Um, and the Virgin Mary. And but my you weren't here. in a funny state at, at that time. No, I mean, it, it is terrible. You're right. It's terrifying. I just think in hindsight, when you kind of give people that collection of facts that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my God, poor you. But they're also like, that's pretty funny. It is and pretty funny. I think it's both. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think it's yeah. good to laugh about yourself. It's healthy, but it's, it's also kind of traumatic. So tell me about your upbringing. I mean, where did you grow up? I mean, obviously not in Ireland. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the accent was that bad, huh? No. <laughs> uh, no, it, uh, Wichita, Kansas, which is not a small town. It's not a big city. It's about 350,000 population. Um, it is what you would really call real America. Mm-hmm. Um, votes red, uh, uh no. about, about an 85% clip, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, 85% clip? Oh, yeah, I'm saying about 85% of people there, I would guess, vote Republican. Oh, maybe right. it's, maybe it's a little, a little more balanced than that, but it, you know, wow. Hillary was never going to win there. No. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, it's not the most progressive place in the world. There's not a ton to do. Um, and got, you got siblings? Yeah. I got an older sister who is a veterinarian, um, an aquatic vet. And I have a younger brother who, um, still lives in Wichita and he's like a manager at, um, uh, an aircraft manufacturing company and loving parents mom very much so um mom gets books written about her 
Pops is also in the book, but, um, you know, I, I don't think he doesn't love me, but I've, you know, spent not much of my life around him. I don't know if we added up every day I've seen him, if we would get to two years, well. excluding, like, I guess he was there the first five years of my life, but then he moved to California. Um, and yeah, we don't have, certainly don't have what we, I'd call our relationship strained. Um, we've gotten a couple fights, like fist fights. Um, I'll go like six years or so without seeing him sometimes. I may be here for my mom, my birthday. Maybe I don't. That's kind of, I reciprocate in the same way. Mm. Um, and that was, you know, really hard to come to terms with for a really long time. And I'm sure there's still like a little daddy hole in my heart, but, um, there's a point where you kind of got to get on with it too, you know, and mm. go like, this guy's clearly not trying to have much of a relationship with me. Um, it can't really be on the child to, you know, you just, you just can't. No. Yeah. And I, I think at some point you just have to then carve your own life. You do. And so you just do that. And yeah. some people have two horrible parents. Mm. Um, I'm not saying he's a horrible guy. He's mm. done some pretty Absolutely. bad things, but, uh, yeah, you know, I'm so grateful for my mother and for my grandmother. Um, the book's dedicated to my grandma's, the inscriptions for Granny the Bird's Bird. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have a small, really close family of me, my grandma, my brother, my sister, my mom, and my grandpa when he was alive. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of people don't have that. And is there a history of mental illness in the family? Who doggy? Um, my <laughs> my mom has this line. Um, publishers, uh, feel free to reach out, find my email, and find her because she's got a great book in her. Um, she's a fantastic writer, but she's got this line that uh, something along the lines of mental illness runs through our family like charisma through the Kennedys. Oh wow! And uh, <laughs> I like that. It, yeah, it's true. It's um, true. Aunts and uncles, they've got charisma in spades. Yeah, father. Brother, definitely some struggle. Sister, pretty like overachieving, just normal as all get out. Mm. But yeah, I'm, I've I've spent the most days in the psych ward of anyone other than my uncle Eddie, who went to a psych ward the day I was born. Um, he was taken away to the state mental ho- uh, hospital and never lived anywhere else for the rest of his life. He was a paranoid schizophrenic. Uh. Um, and me and my grandma have a particularly close bond, and I don't think it's any coincidence that it was that the day her son was taken away, I was born. So I was kind of his replacement in many ways. Um, and, yeah, we have a very special bond. I call her every day, even mm. in Australia, mm. except the last two days. Because mm. <laughs> you've been busy. Yeah. Um, so you grew up, um, and how was your childhood, like, you know, schooling, were you the odd kid out with you the comedian in the group? I mean, how did that transpire? Class clown. Yeah. Um, utterly allergic to authority to yeah. it just, you know, to a very problematic degree. Tons of fights. I've been suspended from school more times than I can count. I've been expelled from two schools, one of them even a public school, which wow, like that's hard to do. That is hard to do. You got to either bring a weapon or drugs to school, or I think I was the only person that ever got expelled that I never did. What was the behavior? What did you get expelled for? I was really, really, really sarcastic and you know extremely defiant, as I said, and 
Honestly, like... No violence, though. Oh, no. I've been in a lot of fights. Oh, um, you have? I never okay. won any of them. Um, <laughs> I, I've, <laughs> I've been not... I can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. There you go. There uh, you go. I got you. There we go. All right. This just changed. Uh, <laughs> going in, going hard. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, no, I've been knocked unconscious many times. Um, I, I often wonder... I mean, obviously, I've never been in a physical fight. It's not obvious. You never know. <laughs> you, you just revealed a bit of na- uh, revealed a bit of nastiness. <laughs> Do you think somebody could punch me out? Yeah, I mean, we're not oh, sitting yeah? that far away from. Yeah, each other, that's right. right. <laughs> but I often want, wonder what propels somebody to physically hit someone else. Can you curse on this podcast or no? Yeah, you can say whatever you like. Okay. Well, there's like uh, you know this old kind of corny joke like I came here to drink beer, fucking fight. I'm all out of beer. Uh, wow. And, and that's kind of Kansas, you know? You run out yeah. of beer and yep. you're bored and people start throwing down. And it's kind of this like macho culture where like I have my best friend from high school, his dad's from Liverpool and he came over to play professional soccer in the U.S. And, um, you know, so he's got like a totally different background. My My buddy, his son, was born in Wichita and we grew up playing soccer together and went to high school together. Um and we just got in so many crazy fights. Like I've been punched with brass knuckles from behind. I was knocked oh. out before I hit the ground. I've been jumped by six guys, like just getting kicked in the face, punched in the face. Um till I was But just, is it alcohol infused or is it just I'm just gonna hit someone? It's it is and it's just this macho culture and it like obviously is kinda self-perpetuating and that like okay well those guys got beef with us we got beef with them and then oh it's like that gang culture a little bit this this was kind of like suburban you know upper middle class white kids a lot of the a lot of the people i'm talking about but there is a huge gang culture in wichita kansas too um we grew up around my mom was always taking people in and you know she would tutor kids after school and we would have Crips and Bloods alike sitting around the dinner table with us. Yeah, she's mm. she's something else. Mm. Um, so, and was it that you felt that you were always, were you fighting for identity? Were you fighting for, what were you fighting for? Why were you angry? I think the dad probably had a lot to do with it. Naturally, I have, um, I've worked on this a lot over the years, but I have a, a pretty hot temper, mm. um, short fuse. And, uh, you know, I think the abandonment thing, I don't think this is, I'm the first person in the history of the world to have Mm. this kind of Mm. like hardens you and also makes you, you know, um, you don't really, you have a hard time trusting people and you're like, I think kind of looking for people to hurt you. And then I think sometimes like anger is more like lashing out and kind of, uh, preemptive defense against that um and i was also just big for my age always um so when i got to high school and like i was a pretty good athlete too like i made like the varsity team when i was a freshman and so like i kind of came into high school and the older kids you know were kind of like oh who's this guy think Mm -hmm. he is and then it was like well let's beat him up (laughs) and you know so you kind of it's kind of like survival of the 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Fittest, yeah, it? a little bit. It's yeah. this kind of jock, macho culture. Yeah. Um, and it's so stupid. And, you know, I've had... I'm scared about the number of concussions I've had, especially mm. the more you read about CTE mm. and all that stuff. Um, but you went on to become a defense lawyer. True story. Um, yeah, I think that had a ton to do with my mom and how she raised us and growing up around so many kids who were either shot or went to prison, some of them both. It was a foregone conclusion that they were not going to go to college and quite possibly and perhaps likely going to go to jail. Um, and I knew these people and for a lot of people, you know, you don't know them on a one to one level. So they're not humans to you. They're characters in uh, a movie, perhaps, or just like what bad people you read about in the news. Um, and that's not the case. You know, everybody has got a mama. Um, everybody bleeds red and we're just not that different. Um, mm -hmm. other than the fact that some people are born into privilege. Some people are born into absolutely nothing. And I don't personally think it's choices that lead really anyone to prison. Um, I think you kind of win or lose a lottery, really like a lot of lotteries. As soon as you're born, you're either you know, how much easier is life if you're smart, attractive, funny, and mm. have money versus... Are you describing yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, ver versus if you uh, definitely do not check uh, all of those boxes. Um, it, it is true. I think I think privilege and appearance and... It, well, I mean, you know, I think we know that. It, it does play a part. But then there are those that don't have that that still... Um, and I don't want to use the word succeed because that's a different measure, but mm -hmm. those who achieve what they want to achieve in life or be what they want to be, whatever that is. There's this U.S. comedian who I love named Ron Funches, and uh, I'm not going to try to tell his joke, but the essence of it is, um, you know, he's talking about gangster stuff and, like, gangster rap, and he's talking about, like, you know, how everybody's like, you know, I'm going to shoot you with my nine, whatever, mm. <laughs> you know, and he's like... Uh, I don't know why everybody's bragging about that so much. It, it just lets me, I just hear that and I go, who hurt you? You mm. know, what happened to you? And I think, you know, especially people of color in the U.S. Mm. are so boogeymaned by so many um, people in the media uh, that we forget that what puts people in a place where they're, you know, what what drives you to go buy that first gun? It's the fear that you'll have well, to... Well, when you're allowed to. 
you're usually not allowed to like these bumps like black market gun like what what drives someone to join a gang what drives someone to put a pistol in their waistband when they're 12 years old it's not like a hey i'm playing the long game this Mm. is my business plan it's that and then i'm gonna go to mit Mm. or harvard and do some engineering it's Mm. i might need to shoot somebody because somebody might try to shoot me um and i think we don't know that these people that we see on TV and handcuffs or whatever, that people so easily label thugs are hurt and have been abandoned and damaged and they are scared. They're people that have feelings Marginalized. and fear. Yeah. yeah, and hopes and dreams that mm. either never materialized or maybe never even had the opportunity to form. Mm. You know, how do you become a writer? You grow up around uh, bookshelves that are fil- filled with books. Well, you start reading, I think. Yeah, you see someone read yeah, first, yeah. and then eventually you're like, what's that thing do? Yeah. And you open it and you look at it. Mm. Well, what, if there's no books in the house, mm. you know, and if, if no one cares if you go to school. I'm I'm a late starter to this, but I've only just started watching The Wire. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. I just banged out season one and two oh. this winter. I haven't finished two. So I'm just halfway, halfway. Yeah. yeah. But I hear three gets way better. Right, okay. Yeah. But... The culture shock for me has been remarkable. I mean, I, 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 the, the, it's just like there's no choices. Like if you're brought up in those high rises or low rises or whatever that public housing is called, yeah. what chance do you have? None. Like literally none. Mm. Um, th- that, that show is so realistic. Mm. Um, w- when it gets into the gang and drug culture, they nail it. Um, they absolutely know it because repre- there's just no choice. Yeah, I've represented those guys so many times. Avon Barksdale, I know who he is. He's I grew up with him. Yeah. Um, there's a character in my book, Bobby Prince Jr., who I, I love like a brother. Um, he went to prison for six years, uh, federal prison in the U.S. when he for was doing 19. What? It's not a very sympathetic crime, but he was running along with his father an interstate truck stop prostitution ring um underage girls to make it a you know even better that's the wire season two yeah <laughs> that's the docs right yeah and so he his dad you know he spent summers in oklahoma with his dad who was a pimp bobby didn't learn to even read dr seuss until he was pushing 12 10 on 12 something like that he is one of the sweetest most charismatic um, people I've ever met. And, but, you know, he spent his first first few years of his life rolling around in a car with his dad learning how yeah. to pimp. Mm. And That was his education. And then his dad got him into this pimp game when he was, you know, he was an incredible athlete. He's a couple inches taller. He's, he's in the NFL. Um, but he got shot and he dropped out of school. My mom had tutored him to, he had offers from every single school in the country to go run track there. Um, and my mom tutored him until he could get his test scores to a level where he could, um, get admitted to these schools because they were offering him a full ride to go to college, mm-hmm. but he didn't mm-hmm. have the grades or the test scores. So she gets, they got in, um, he, he got in and then he got shot twice, mm-hmm. two different occasions. And then he ended up going to Oklahoma City. He wanted to meet his father and not get to know him. They ran this thing together. They got popped. His dad wanted him to take the whole rap. Um, he said, you're young. They won't hit you. 
Um, and then he found out his dad was trying to roll on him and break a deal. Ugh. So had he rolled on his father, he probably would have walked, but he didn't. So he got six years and his father got 12. And we were, you know, one of the first stops when he got out of prison. He came over to our place. And, you know, my mom wasn't, she didn't turn him away or anything. She was like, mm. it's great to see you, B-O-B-B-Y, um, which is what she calls him. And, yeah, he's. it's hard to say that someone that's done that, you know, most people would be like, well, how can you say he's a great dude? I don't know. He is. Like, I, I know his. I get it. I, yeah. I, I do get it. I mean, it's 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 so much about environment and upbringing. And as you said earlier, you know, you're just born into these situations. And You're also born with the brain you're born with. Yeah, yeah, you are. You, you know? are. Um, so tell me, what was it like being a defense lawyer? So, I mean, that's a lot of education to get there. So you must have been focused for a while. Um, yeah, I was a horrible student in high school. I didn't really care mm. about school at all. Mm. And my mom, you know, ironically enough, she's a teacher, but she didn't really have time to care about my grades. And mm. I think she was just glad I wasn't getting arrested more frequently mm. than I was. But I was really into soccer, and that was my saving grace and that I had to make decent enough grades to stay on the team, which is about all I did. And then I went to college. And I was on the soccer team for one year, um, and I didn't know what to do with myself after practice. I didn't have a TV, and I was like, well, let me try doing my homework. And I did, mm-hmm. and I kind of accidentally made straight A's my first semester, and I was like, well, I guess you can do that. I mm-hmm. guess that's the standard. And I'm glad I became a lawyer because it led to where I'm at right now, um, but it wasn't really for me. And mm. I made the decision, though, to become a lawyer when I was 18. Um, so mm. I had four years of school and then three more for law school. But, um, you know, I didn't really think about what I could be because I didn't know the universe of opportunities. I didn't know you could be a writer any more than I knew you could be an astronaut. Mm. Um, so I knew I had to make good grades, and then I did, and I got into a, a good law school. But, um, yeah, you know, I was kind of I – don't, I don't know if I read three books in high school. Mm. I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I started, you know, reading books fairly late in life. Um, I guess I always read magazines. But. So when did you have your first episode? I was 26. You were 26. Mm-hmm. And were you practicing law? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I tried a case in probably a hypermanic state. I had shaved my head into like a Travis Bickle taxi driver mohawk. And I tried a case like that. I saw a movie li- lately where one of the lawyers did that, shaved their heads off. That's an, an American film. Oh, anyway, it's escaped me, but it was. I'm sure Al Pacino could play that. Mm, you know, it wasn't, kind of a but dog maybe day afternoon era. Yeah, Pacino. maybe Al Pacino was <laughs> in it. But anyway, um, and and one of the the lawyers arrived in court with his head shaven, and he was on the verge of a breakdown. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Well, Brittany shaved her head right before that breakdown. That's Remember right. That? Yeah. What yeah. is it with hair? You just don't like it. I don't know. I mean, maybe it goes back to kind of Samson sort of thing. You know? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, so, did you have people around you? Were people worried about you? Yeah. Um, my friend once, we, um, he's actually a guy that later in the book is in the car with me when I have an episode. And he had breakfast with me once and um like kind of very you know uh i went to the the hospital very shortly after this this 
uh, breakfast and he said to me, why is it so hard for you to admit you are bipolar? And I almost started crying and I said, because it's my biggest fear. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really even know what bipolar disorder was mm-hmm. at that point, but I knew what crazy was because my uncle, the one who went to the psych ward the day I was born, would come home for holidays from the psych ward, and he was terrifying. He looked like Charles Manson. Um, he looks like actually Fairmount like me. He was a beardy guy. He had long hair, and um, he chain smoked. He drank like six Mountain Dews a day, and. He would just, most of what he said was just singing Pink Floyd or Beatles lyrics. Uh, He would yell in your face. And, um, you know, he was also a Buddhist. And so he would be in the basement. I mean, this guy just put the fear of God on me. Did I mention he was proficient with nunchucks? And for some reason, they let the schizophrenic play with his nunchucks. But he would be in the basement. I'd be upstairs with my grandma in the kitchen and you would just hear in the basement nam yo ho in rikyo nam yo ho in rikyo nam yo ho and yeah you're four mm. terrifying mm. when you see this guy i think chanting is terrifying when you kind of you know yeah. there's something kind of um mm. eerie about it it's also there is like i find it kind of calming now to hear people mm. do that but it you know it it's unless well, it's, it's a sound it's that we to you. yeah it's foreign to you that's yeah, exactly right it's yeah but, yeah. Um, so yeah, he. I mean, he was really scary, but also fascinating. It was always just like, felt like there was a dragon in the basement. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you were just like, you wanted to see him, and you wanted to like, kind of look at his wings mm-hmm. and stuff. But you also like, he breathed fire. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, I never wanted to be my uncle, other than there were parts of him that were very cool. Like he had a chain wallet. He smoked hand rolls. He you know, he was just a badass. If if he hadn't have been mentally ill, he might have been a rock star. Mm-hmm. He certainly wouldn't have been an accountant. No offense mm-hmm. to any accountants. No, I get you. But, I'm hearing you. You know, yeah. he, he was a badass. Mm. And he, he died young. Um, he was addicted to PCP before he went to the hospital. Tell me what the hospital was like. Um, what's the line from the book? Mm. Uh, Regaining sanity in a mental hospital is like treating a migraine at a rave. It's mm. literally the worst pers- worst place in the world you can be to try to get healthy. Um, it's cold. The beds are uncomfortable. The pillows are lumpy. You don't have any goose down comforter by any stretch. The pres- the food is like prison food. People are why is it like that? Because no one cares, um, and there's no money. Um, that, you know, there could, there is money. There's plenty of money. There's more billionaires in New York mm-hmm. than probably any city in the world, close to it at least. And, you know, it's just, there's the political will to help the homeless and the sick is not there. Mm-hmm. You know, if some politician, um, campaigned on like a Jesus platform, like a real Jesus platform and was like, I think we should treat each other as, as Christ preached that we should, he would get smoked. You know, that's the, 
to Jesus with tax. Uh, people, I mean, I know? just think more and more, you know, <laughs> politics is about big business and that's about it. That's it. Yeah. We, we live in I mean, really, in the US yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, they and don't care about you. Most I mean, Western democracies mm, are mm. that. Why did you then go to, why do you go to hospital if it's that? Well, I didn't have much of a choice after the NYPD cuffed me. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. okay <laughs> so they got kind it. of carted yeah. me in there. Um, and most of the time when you go to a psych ward, that's the situation. You usually come, like, yeah. you're going there instead of jail because they've just decided that. You're too crazy to go right. to jail. And you know, if I was, if I'd have been African American or Puerto mm-hmm. Rican, um, standing on the side of the subway platform with no shirt on, no shoes, um, wearing only soccer shorts, crying, um, and kind of giving the cops a little bit of lip when they came up to me, well, you know, I mm. could have very well have ended up in the precinct instead of the hospital, mm. which actually probably would have been a better outcome for me because I wouldn't have been there more than 24 hours. But, yeah, you're usually kind of in the midst of some sort of crisis or another law enforcement interview. And so how do you manage it now? I don't smoke copious amounts of pot. Um, I try not to drink too much too frequently. Um, it's very important for me to get enough sleep. Yeah. Which can be hard, especially when you're on, you know, mm. big travel schedule. Um, and I, you know, it's always really good to do. Are you medicated? Yeah, I do take, um, I do take a mood stabilizer every day, but I'm lucky I don't have to take an antipsychotic or anything because those are the ones that really come with the heavy side effects. And yeah, you know, do a bit of yoga, work out a little bit, and it's, it's actually very manageable for me, but mm. I it took a lot of trial and error. To get there. Yeah. It's a book's worth of failure, you mm. know, mm. <laughs> and trials um, before, you know, I got to a place where this can kind of be my life, semi-functional. Um, and do you think writing the book and having a career that you enjoy doing helps? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a friend, this guy named Justin in New York, who is, um, you know, one of my very dear friends, and we've talked a lot about this. He's never had a break or anything like that, but he feels like he could be susceptible and has had periods in his life where, like, oh, yeah, you know, that's conceivable. That could have happened to me. And he brought up this point, which I think is a great point, that there's probably a lot of people that could have a mental breakdown and end up in the psych ward if they were placed in the right like pressure yeah. cooker of a place. And being a public defender, I mean that's that's just a that's a that's a catalyst of a setting yeah. <laughs> for for that sort of uh breakdown. You watch people suffer yeah. all day long and the pressure to alleviate that suffering is on you. To keep a human from yeah. living in bondage. That's your job. Yeah. But your, your, your actual job is to sit there and watch people be tortured in cages all day. Um, so yeah, if that doesn't tear you up, mm. I don't know. I think mm. something's off with you. Uh, Zach McDermott, we've got to end it there because we're out of time. Incredibly interesting. I have enjoyed speaking with you very much. Gorilla and the Bird is the book. I think you're brave, I think you're wonderful, and thank you so much for coming to visit us today. Thank you for having me. I very much enjoyed this myself. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au.
This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.